Working with your investments, retirement, insurance, estate, or tax planning, or just dealing with everyday expenses, your money matters. Let KT Thomas help you make the most of it. This is KT's Money Matters. Hi, and welcome back. This is KT from KT's Money Matters. We're here today talking about how to save you money and help you grow money in all the areas of your finances. We've had a lot going on in 2018 so far this year, but I would argue that the biggest conversation pieces, if you're not a Bitcoin buyer, is the changes of the tax laws in 2018 and what people can actually expect. So the first thing I want to manage people's expectations, because I've had a lot of people talk to me about how much money they think they're going to save in taxes this year. And so when you go and get your taxes done this year, it's for the 2017 taxable income year. And so the tax changes that were passed weren't passed for 2017 by and large. They only become effective in 2018. So it's important to know that not a lot is going to change when you meet your accountant this spring. It's really planning for spring of 2019 when we look at the income of 2018. The other thing I've figured out is that a lot has changed, but your total tax obligation may not change as much as you think. So I have asked George Ferullo, who is a CPA, a good friend of mine, and works with many of my clients to help us to decipher some of what's in the tax code and how that might help working families. George, thanks for joining the show. Thank you, KT. I'm glad to be here. First and foremost, I would like to just give everybody a little warning, okay? This is a very, very complex tax code that has just been introduced to us, the biggest in 31 years. So what I want to just impress upon everybody, tread lightly. Do not go out and make any rash decisions, okay, based upon what you hear maybe as a news bite, what a friend has told you. By all means, check with your accountant, check with your tax attorney before you do anything that may impact you negatively. You know, I had a lot of people in, in you know, it's two days before the end of the year wondering if they can run into their town hall and pay their taxes because they heard about it on TV. You can, sort of, okay? Yeah. Here's the stipulation. It has to be an actual bill. You cannot pay it based upon an assessment. And each town was different on a town-to-town basis as to whether or not they're going to accept these payments. I'll tell you a funny story, though. The Mass DOR opened up their site to accept prepayments for 18. Guess what? Those aren't deductible. Didn't stop Massachusetts from doing it to collect money. Yeah. So Massachusetts says, sure, we'll take your money, but that doesn't mean we're going to let you deduct it this year. Correct. Because there's no assessment assigned to it. Oh my God. You know, so many people were telling me just how bright they thought they were running around doing all of this pre-tax to get this deduction to imagine that a state would have just said, Sure, we'll let you pay. I mean, you may not be able to deduct it, but we'll let you pay. And people paid it thinking they could deduct it only to find out that this isn't going to matter to them for, you know, 16 months. And the other issue is, um, Kath, is that people were prepaying these real estate taxes and not even checking to see if they were in alternative minimum tax for 17, thus getting no benefit for paying early. I'll tell you, I heard all of these stories around the holidays, and this part of it was because the tax bill was signed so late in the year that there really was no time to figure out what those 500 pages actually had and how it was going to be, you know, evaluated. So what I said is, you know, don't make any rash decisions. 
make sure that the ink is actually dry and then try to figure out, uh, you know, how you might be able to, what are the two or three things you might be able to do that might be able to help. So in general, George, tell me, do you think people are going to pay less? And do you feel like that savings will be substantial for most families? Well, here's what I've seen, KT. I've run different scenarios for different income groups. Case in point, I ran a couple projections for some for a family that's in the hundred and fifty thousand adjusted gross income range. I've run them uh, for those in the five hundred thousand range. Each one is different. There are some instances where that one fifty AGI, you they end up saving money. There's some where they end up paying more money. Same thing with the the higher income people that I ran. This is so unique, okay? You have to go on a case-by-case basis because there's so many moving parts to this. You know, who um, was getting phased out of exemptions? You know, currently, they're still not going to get exemptions going forward. Um, Who's losing the big real estate tax and state income tax deduction? Now we got the mortgage interest limitation for new purchases. There's so many moving parts that I can't even say that, yeah, if you make X, you save Y. Just can't do that right now. You know, and I think that's, I think, first of all, that's a great point is that, first of all, not everybody is going to save taxes. And secondly, you know, I talked a little bit before about reform. You know, reform is when they change how you calculate the math. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to pay less. I hear a lot of grumbling. I live in New Hampshire, land of the high real estate tax. Mm-hmm. And I border Massachusetts, land of the high income tax. So I hear a lot of grumbling about not being able to write off the state and local taxes against the federal return. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what I, I was actually talking to a CPA uh, colleague of mine from New Hampshire. And here's what he sees. He has a lot of uh, New Hampshire residents that work in Mass. Therefore, you have the high real estate tax. You have the high state income tax. He goes, mostly all of those clients would hit alternative minimum tax and thus don't get the benefit of taking that deduction anyways. So for them, it's just, you know, for them, they weren't getting it anyway. They maybe just didn't know it. Correct. So they might actually come out better saying, okay, we're going to give you $10,000 of it because that's the cap in 18 going forward. But we've raised the threshold so high in Altman, you wouldn't hit Altman anymore. So therefore, okay, that $10,000 deduction in 18 could have been better when you were showing 20000 in 17. So let's back up. You referenced Altman, and you know a lot of our viewers are maybe not as familiar with the tax code. So let's talk about what alternative minimum tax is and why it matters. Okay, I'll give you the simplified version of it. And that okay. is, it's an alternative method on how to uh, calculate your tax liability. And a few of the items they add back is what they've always referred to as tax preference items in in doing this calculation. Now, these tax preference items, the two major ones that always seem to come up are state and local taxes and miscellaneous itemized deductions. Now, state and local taxes we now know have been capped at 10. Miscellaneous itemized deductions have now been done away with. The other piece to this is all men, okay? They finally raised the threshold. I believe it's up to a million dollars. Therefore, what they want is it to affect the higher end taxpayer and no longer affect that person in the 150 to 450 range of adjusted gross income, which it was doing. 
Right. So a lot of people were actually getting swept up into this idea of the alternative minimum tax that that the code never really planned for. They just never changed it. They never got around to changing it. Right. They never adjusted it along with inflation. So now it's a million. And so what that means is that if you have income of less than a million, you're no longer subject to alternative minimum tax. Correct. So now your $10,000 in state and local taxes may mean something. Obviously, you now have to contend we have a higher standard deduction. Yeah. So therefore, okay, you're going to need more of other deductions in addition to that 10000 probably mortgage interest, charitable contributions, to get you over to that over that $24,000 limit. So is there, there's a trade-off with that, though. We didn't just get the doubling of the itemized deduction number for the standard. Mm-hmm. Did we lose something on the other side for that? Well, we lost the well, we lost something and possibly gained something. Here's what happened. So they almost doubled these standard deductions, okay? For single, they're now twelve thousand, for head of household eighteen, and for married joint twenty-four. But what they took away was the exemptions, um, which is roughly four thousand dollars per person, an additional deduction. Okay. So now we got a family of four, let's say. They lost roughly 16,000 in deductions because of these exemptions. Mm-hmm. Okay. But now let's talk about the child tax credit. The big claim to fame is that we doubled the child tax credit. So now instead of 1,000 per kid, you get 2,000 per kid, and up to 1,400 can be refundable. What that means is if you don't have a tax liability, you're still going to get $1,400 back in your pocket per child. So that means you're getting it even though you didn't pay taxes. You're basically getting money from them, right? So you're getting an income supplementing, not just a tax reduction. Right. But now here's, here's the other piece to the puzzle. The age requirement. Only children under the age of 17 at the end of tax year qualify for this child tax credit. So let's take a look at a scenario here. Let's say I have two children, but my children are 18 and 19, okay? I can't get the child tax credit, and I've now lost $8,000 in an exemption deduction. So for all of those parents who have kids in college and they've been able to take them as a dependent while they're still in college, they actually lose that. Correct. There is one other thing that they did put into the code for dependents. Um, other dependents, if you will. So in other words, kids that are above the 17 years old, maybe a parent, whatever, they put in a $500 tax credit for those individuals. The tax credit is not, um, excuse me, not refundable, but it does reduce your tax liability by $500. But it still doesn't equal the- Right. They used to get a $4,000 deduction. Now they get the $500 credit. Correct. So let's say this. Let's say you're in a 25% tax bracket. When you were getting a $4,000 deduction, hey, you save $1,000. Well, now you're only saving $500. Okay. So you're going to get something, but it's not going to be what it was. So this Correct. really, this piece kind of, when I think about families, families with young kids will probably do pretty well. So they'll get the kitty tax, which will be substantial. Parents who have Correct. kids that are a little bit older, especially kids that are in college, they get significantly less. They still get to support them. I know when my kid was in college, it wasn't like I wasn't supporting them. But you don't get to take them as a deduction. And you can itemize. But for all of those people that itemize and had 
you know, fifteen or twenty thousand dollars worth of itemized deductions, they're actually now better off doing the standard. Correct. And the, like I said, you know, you may not have a choice. I'll give you a case in point. This was an actual scenario I ran. Um, I have this married couple, income at about the 110, 120 range. They have two kids, college age. No, they didn't itemize because they had paid their mortgage off. Okay. So on their current return, they end up, they have 12600 in standard deduction and then another 16000 in exemptions. That's the two parents and the two kids. There's twenty, um, excuse me, twenty-eight thousand dollars, twenty-eight six in deduction. Now under the new laws, what do they get? They get no exemptions, no child tax credit, and twenty-four. They lost forty-six hundred dollars in deductions. Okay, so they didn't do better. Well, here's the then. Now let's go to the other moving part, the tax brackets. They've actually lowered by a few percentage points, so that potentially makes up the difference. That's what I was saying, um, KT, that there's so many moving parts to this. You just can't give a pat answer. Right. So can we talk a little bit about the dedu- about the rates and the percentage changes from rate to rate? So I know, exactly. I know broadly that there are seven brackets and that all the brackets came down a little bit. But could you just mm-hmm. sort of... So if the, if the highest tax bracket in the past used to be 396 you know, what mm-hmm. is it now and how much income do you have to make before you're in it? Can you walk me like okay. backward through the brackets? Absolutely. Let's, um, well, let's start with, um, we can go with single first. Okay. So it was 39.6 and that was, and this is based on taxable income, mind you. Okay. So you're after your itemized deductions or your standard deductions and, and at the time exemptions. So, a single individual, any income over four hundred and twenty-six thousand seven hundred, they were paying thirty-nine point six. Now, under the new situation, any income over five hundred thousand, they're paying thirty-seven. Married joint, old law, four hundred eighty thousand oh five oh, they were paying thirty-nine point six over that. And under the new law, anything over six hundred thousand, they're paying thirty-seven. And this goes all the way back too. I mean, the brackets have been reduced all the way down and they've bumped the income threshold within the bracket. So I see that there's a savings in this piece of it. Because basically everyone's going to get a piece in this savings. And the question is, do they get enough in this savings to offset what they lose in the inside? That's what we have to wait and see. Okay. And right out of the gate, as you know, you, you and I talked earlier about this, that everybody's going to see, every wage earner that is, is going to see immediate increase in their pay because of this. Oh, you know what? This had me so confused, this idea that suddenly people were going to get extra money in their check right now, whether or not that's a good thing and whether or not it's a fair expectation. And, you know, one of my questions to you, George, is let's say somebody always gets a refund and then they're going to withhold less. So that's probably okay. They just get maybe the same refund or a little less. But what if somebody is like, you know, I have these people that always owe money in taxes. I call them the reluctant taxpayers. And they actually always laugh. They, they like totally feel that way. Now they're going to get even less money withheld from their taxes. They probably weren't withholding enough before. Should they just keep going the way they go? Or is there, should they consider whether or not they should change it? Well, here's the deal. This seminar I went to last week, and I'm talking with the tax attorney there. His feeling is where overall he thinks these clients are going to be paying less tax, okay? 
Typically, um, let's just use a basic safe harbor rule that if you pay 100% of your prior year's tax, you don't have to pay an underestimated penalty. He actually said, I'm going to be estimating my clients on 90%, anticipating they are going to have a reduction. Okay? So the ones that owe, owe money, Okay, would I really change anything? No. I especially this first year with this transition year, I say let's keep everything pat, let's see what happens. The worst case is yeah, maybe we owe a couple more dollars a year in. So be it. We'll deal with it then. And then once we get a grip on what's going on, adjust it going forward. Cause they could still make changes, right? Well, they could, okay. Right now, do I see any changes? No. What I think they need to do, though, to be honest with you, is um, refine this. Right now, we're seeing a lot of ambiguities in here, things we don't have the answer to. So that has to be addressed first. And, you know, and as you know, as things crop up, they can always change le- legislation going forward. That's right. So one of the things, you know, I I recently wrote a book called The Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money. And in it, I talk about being a willing student. And this is what I think about. It's that rather than just like running to your, I can't believe the state of Massachusetts took money, but I guess now that I'm saying it out loud, I can believe it, (laughs) that they just said, sure, if you want to pay, we'll take it. And then later on, let you find out that you can't actually, it actually didn't work for you. But that these people were all running around like mayhem. I got to do this. I got to do this because I'm going to save this money. And only to find out later that they may not save that money. So I always say, you know, to to be a willing student, I talk about it as one of the habits of um, being financially savvy, as being willing to be um, a student and to learn about money before you just go off and do something without actually considering it. So, mm-hmm. and my favorite saying, you know, with clients is, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Correct. So, George, I want to thank you for, for joining us today to talk about families and tax planning. I, if people have questions, how would they reach you if they wanted to reach out and talk to you about taxes in general or maybe you know consider hiring you for your services? What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, uh, you can reach me via email, which is george at georgefarulocpa.com. Farulo spelled F-E-R-U-L-L-O. You can call my office directly, 978-817-2178. We're located in Peabody, Mass., right off of Route 1, convenient location. Perfect. And you do taxes all over the country, too, I recall. Correct. Uh, the majority of my clientele, you know, are obviously focused in you know, Massachusetts and New England, but I've done pretty much every state. So, I mean, I always say that, you know, you want to have a really good tax preparer to make sure that you're getting the most out of uh, out of what you're earning. So with that, I'd like to uh, thank you for joining us today. I want to remind everybody that the link for George Ferullo, as well as the link for the Hardworking Woman's Guide to Money is available in the show notes of this podcast. This is KT from KT's Money Matters. And I want to thank you for tuning in and listen to us the next time when we talk more about how to make the most out of what you make. Thanks for listening to KT's Money Matters with KT Thomas. For more information, past episodes, and show notes, go to www.ktsmoneymatterspodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe and recommend it at iTunes, Overcast, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>